God, we do thank you and praise you for uh, today. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to, to look at your word. And God, what a, what a phenomenal passage this is. God, we can all relate to the woman at the well here. God, our hearts are thirsty today. And God, we, we desperately need to be satisfied to be filled with Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would do that today through your word, that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts God, that you, through your spirit, would make the text plain to us. And so, Lord, show us Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the things that I uh, love most about Jesus is that Jesus never calls us to do something that he doesn't first do himself. And yet, not only that, but he also explains and shows us how to do that which he's asking us to do. And that is really the nature of what it means to be a Christian, that we follow Jesus, that we imitate Jesus and how he lived his life through the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. And so as we continue to embark on kind of this evangelism challenge as a congregation, and as we look through uh, different encounters that Jesus had with with so many people uh, in the Gospels, I, I want us to keep coming back to Jesus. I want us to keep coming back to Jesus and and looking at how did Jesus evangelize? Like, how did, how did Jesus talk about himself? How did, how did Jesus talk about salvation? What did that look like in the life of Christ? Just to help us understand of how it is that we are to share Jesus with other people here in the Hamilton County. And in John chapter 4, I think we get one of the, one of the clearest examples of what it looks like to faithfully explain the gospel. There is just so much in John chapter 4, and and, and I'll just confess to you, I won't be able to get to everything today, uh, but what I want to do today is just highlight five keys to faithful and personal evangelism. So five keys to faithful and personal evangelism that we see in the life of Christ. And so before we uh, jump into those five keys, I do just want to set uh, the, the context here and look at the setting uh, just for a few moments, because there's so much in here that's really uh, powerful, but it's determined upon us understanding the context and what's taking place in John uh, chapter 4. And so if you notice, John chapter 4, the, the first three verses, we learn of why Jesus is even in Sychar, a Samaritan town. We see how John, the author of this gospel, sets up this encounter And the first three verses, he tells us that that there's this commotion that was stirring between Jesus and the Pharisees. That the Pharisees were uh, were giving some pushback to Jesus' ministry. We're noticing that Jesus was baptizing more people than John. And so we learn that Jesus leaves Judea and heads north to Galilee. Now this is a a three-day journey. And yet John tells us in verse 5 that Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Now what's really interesting about this encounter that Jesus has with this woman is that this encounter should never have taken place. Like this should never have happened really because of of three main barriers that Jesus uh, pushed through. Jesus pushes through a cultural barrier. He pushes through a religious barrier and he pushes through a social barrier. First let me point out the cultural barrier in verse 4 that we learn, John tells us, that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, why does John say that? Why does he say he had to pass through Samaria? Well, geographically, that's true, that in order to get to uh, Galilee, heading north from Judea, 
the shortest route was to get through Samaria. That was the fastest way to get there. And yet, culturally here, the Jews would never have traveled through Samaria. The Jews hated the Samaritans. There, there was extreme animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. The, the Jews actually viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds. And they, they viewed them half-breeds both racially and even religiously. And so they would have avoided going through Samaria at all costs here. They, they would have gone the longer route through the Transjordan, and yet that didn't stop Jesus here. That Jesus didn't care about, about this cultural barrier that he's pushing through. He had to get to this woman at the well. But also, notice the, the religious barrier that Jesus pushes through here. That in this encounter, we notice that, that Jesus is thirsty, that he's weary from this journey, and so he goes to this well wanting a drink of water. And if you notice that Jesus asked this woman for a drink of water. Now, Jesus being a rabbi at the time and asking a Samaritan for a drink of water, for this woman to get him water from a bucket or a draw a jar, would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean. That this, again, should never have happened to, uh, to a rabbi, to a Jew. So religiously, Jesus didn't care about that barrier either. He pushes through and has to talk to this woman. That if you notice, even in verse 27, the, the disciples are even confused at this. Disciples are wondering, Jesus, why, why are you talking to this woman? They're, they're even confused about why this is taking place. And then even in verse 6, we learn about perhaps a social barrier that Jesus pushes through. That in verse 6, Jesus or, or John lets us know that, that this whole encounter takes place at the sixth hour. And, and what that means at the sixth hour, that would have been at noonday. That would have been midday when the sun was hottest. And we see this woman coming to the well where Jesus is. And yet we need to understand socially in this day, a, a woman would never go to the well by herself. That they always went together with other women. And, and they would never go at this part of the day, the hottest part of the day. And yet we see this woman here by herself getting water. Now why? Why is this woman by herself getting water at the hottest part of the day? Well, it's because of this woman's reputation. That in verses 17 and 18, we, we learn a little bit more about this woman, that, that she's had five husbands and is now is living with a sixth man. This woman has been rejected by her community. She's been ostracized and shunned because of her sin and because of her lifestyle. And she's forced to go grab water all by herself at the hottest part of the day. Can you imagine living that way? Can you imagine like living in our community and, and maybe only going to Kroger at, at midnight because the community has rejected you, has, has shunned you because of your sin and, and because of your lifestyle? Can you imagine living with, with that type of weight on your shoulders, that, that type of, of shame and this woman is definitely wrestling with, with shame in her life. I think a dominant theme in her life is not just guilt, but it's also shame. That if guilt is, is feeling bad for the things that you've done or the things that you haven't done, I think shame is feeling bad for who you are. That shame has a way of, of trying to define your worth and defining your identity. I think shame is, is that voice that we hear when we look in the mirror and, 
and, and that voice says that you're worthless, that you're, that you're a nobody, that, that no one likes you. See, shame is, is that voice that tries to convince you that, that you have nothing to offer. I wonder if, if this woman thought to herself, does, does God even love me? Does, does God even have a, a plan for my life? Does God have, have a purpose for me? Am I outside God's grace? See, shame is, is so relatable, isn't it? Like, we've all experienced a, a time in our lives in which we have felt shame. We have felt this type of weight of, of not only feeling bad for the things that we've done, but also feeling bad for, for maybe who we are. And as we've looked at different encounters, we've looked at Nicodemus a couple of weeks ago, and, and he's this big religious leader, and yet he's searching, and, and I think some of us can relate to him. And then last week, we looked at at Zacchaeus. We looked at this, this wealthy man who, again, was, was searching for answers, and, and I think some of us can relate to him. But, but this woman here, and wrestling with shame, shame is something that we can all identify with, that we've all been there. And yet, what do we see Jesus do here? We see Jesus, who was compelled with compassion to meet with this woman and to engage in conversation. That Jesus had a type of compassion for someone who was lost and someone who was searching that, that broke all kinds of barriers. See, the thing that we see about Jesus, we see this, this divine appointment to save this woman because he was seeking and saving that which is lost. And I don't know if you noticed this, but, but notice the juxtaposition between chapters 3 and chapters 4 here. And I think John is, is doing something deliberate here, that chapter 3 was, was the encounter with, with Nicodemus. And then directly after that, we have this encounter with the woman at the well. I think John wants us to observe this, this comparison, this contrast, that we have Nicodemus, who was a man, was educated, was respected, he had power, he was a Jew, we know his name. He has this encounter with Jesus in the nighttime. And then with this woman at the well, she was a Samaritan. She was a, a categorical sinner. She was unlearned, a social outcast. And we're not even told her name. And she has this encounter with Jesus in the middle of the day. Now, why does John do that? He puts them right next to each other. Well, I think John is trying to communicate to us that it doesn't matter who you are or where you are spiritually, each and every one of us deep down is yearning for Jesus. Each and every one of us has this, this gnawing desire in the depths of our soul to be satisfied by Jesus Christ, to have this new birth that only comes by the Spirit of God. That you may look different on the outside. In fact, you may be here this morning, and on the outside, you may have it all together, yet deep down, your soul is yearning and searching for Jesus Christ. That's true with this woman. This woman was searching. She was searching for acceptance in, in every man that she married. She's searching to be loved, searching to, to remove this, the shame that she feels. This woman comes to this well, and she has this physical thirst. She's, she's wanting that physical thirst to be quenched, and yet she comes and has her spiritual thirst quenched by the living water. And as I was reading this text and studying this text this week, the, the question that I was kind of wrestling with is, is how does this woman who was an outcast, who, who was filled with shame, who was shunned by her community, how does she go from, from that 
to then verse 39. She's leading people in her town to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Like, she goes from, from the community wanting nothing to do with her, having her value be basically nothing, to verse 39. She, she's leading all kinds of people to Christ. How, how, does, how does that happen? How does that happen in our lives? To go from being lost spiritually to, to then leading people to Jesus. Well, it's because of this encounter that she has with Jesus. It's because she, she's been filled with the living water. And so what I want us to see in, in this encounter, in this conversation, I, I want us to focus on what Jesus does in this encounter. There, there are five keys uh, to faithful evangelism that I think Jesus demonstrates for us that we can learn today about how we can move from being lost and from being far from God to being saved and then leading others to Christ. Okay, so five keys that Jesus demonstrates. Here's number one. Number one, I think Jesus demonstrates a gospel intentionality in everyday living. A gospel intentionality in everyday living. I I just want this to, to just sink in for a moment. Notice that Jesus is getting a drink of water. That's all he's doing here. Like, it doesn't get any more mundane than that. Like, that is an everyday activity. That that is something we do uh, many times throughout the day. Yet Jesus turns this everyday activity and and uses some intentionality and turns this into a gospel opportunity. We see Jesus do this really all throughout the gospels, all throughout his life. He's, He's taking everyday activity with some intentionality, and turns it into a gospel opportunity. And just like Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and Zacchaeus, this is not a program. This is not a special event that the, that the synagogue was putting on. This is an everyday activity. And I think gospel intentionality with, with everyday life, it, it means uh, going to the gym, Grabbing coffee at Starbucks and having meetings uh, throughout your day at work, doing chores, changing the diapers with the mindset of how can I plant seeds of gospel truth exactly where I am with the people around me? How can I take the things that I do every single day and, and just have some intentionality towards it and look for opportunities to plant seeds for the gospel? And I think this type of mindset, it protects us from thinking about evangelism and outreach as just something on our to-do list. It protects us from thinking that that outreach and evangelism is just something that we do two hours a week or two hours a month, and we go into this activity and, and, and we do some type of outreach, and then we cross it off our list and we move on from our day. I think I think this mindset protects us from that. See, it's a shift from viewing every single minute of the day as you are on mission to take the gospel wherever you are. That, that you're a missionary here in Hamilton County to take the good news of Jesus Christ wherever you are, no matter what you are doing, whether it's spiritual or not. And so what, what does that look like? Like how, how can you have this mindset, this gospel intentionality with everyday living? Well, I have an acronym for us just to help us remember how to do this. It's the word PASS, P-A. SS. You maybe remember this of not passing up on opportunities uh, to share the gospel. I know that's a little corny, but maybe, maybe you'll remember it that way. So here's the P. P stands for pray. Okay, so having this gospel intentionality with everyday living demands that you pray for opportunities. 
That when you get up in the morning, you're, you're praying through your day, you're praying that, that God would, pe- would put people on your path of life that you might interact with. And, and, and it's so true. Like our prayer lives, like they, they have a way of shaping our priorities for the day. That the things that you pray for, if, if I could just look at your prayer life, I would, I would see your, your highest priorities. I would see your loves. I would see what you are passionate about. And so for us to have this gospel intentionality, we need to have an intentional prayer life for God to give us boldness, for God to give us words to say to pray for people around us. The A stands for available, to be available for God to use you, to to not get so lost in our schedules and and in our to-do list throughout the day, but to be available for the Spirit to prompt something in us in order to be obedient and share the gospel, to be sensitive, to be aware of what the Spirit might do within us. So be available. The S stands for see, that we see the people around us with a spiritual lens. So your, your barista at whatever coffee shop you go to is not just a barista who's serving you coffee, but that barista is, is someone who's, who's made in the image of God who is searching and is thirsting for Jesus Christ, and you have an opportunity to, to talk about Jesus with them. So, so viewing people with an opportunity and with the aim of sharing the gospel with them, so having a spiritual lens. And then S stands for speak, that we want to be able to, to speak the gospel whenever God presents an opportunity for us to, to walk in that. And so pray, available, see, and speak. So don't pass up on those opportunities every day of taking uh, those mundane activities and having some intentionality to share the gospel. And I think Jesus did this beautifully throughout his ministry, but especially here in this conversation. So that's the first key. The second key that Jesus demonstrates for us is he, he built bridges of grace. He does this all throughout his ministry. And yet here, specifically in verses 7 through 9, we see Jesus building a bridge of grace that can hold the weight of truth. I don't know if you notice in this conversation the way that Jesus just completely disarms this woman early on in the conversation. Completely disarms her, and and he does so so that he can kind of lean in more directly later on in the conversation. Well, how did Jesus do this? How did he build a bridge of grace with her? Well, first, notice that Jesus displayed an appropriate level of vulnerability with this woman. Now we know at the, at the end of verse 6 that Jesus is tired. Jesus is thirsty. He's probably halfway through his three-day journey to, to Galilee. And, and even though he's fatigued, he does not allow this, uh, what he felt to rob him of an opportunity to share the gospel. Doesn't that strike you? I mean, this, this man is tired. And, and yet, how many times do we have excuses of not sharing the gospel with people. I mean, I, I know how many times I say it, like, I'm tired or, or I'm in a rush, or, or maybe you have an excuse of, I, I'm, I'm an introvert, or this isn't the right time, or I don't know what to say in this moment. And yet Jesus beautifully doesn't allow what he, what he is feeling in this moment to rob him of an opportunity to lean in and to share the gospel. And yet, Jesus uses what he feels, his, his condition as an opportunity to share the gospel. He, he kind of pulls this woman in by starting with something that he's actually vulnerable about, his thirst and his weariness. And so he says to the woman, give me a drink. 
And this woman is like so taken aback, not just by the cultural barriers, but also because of his honest transparency. This woman is like, how, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? This is amazing. Jesus' transparency, his willingness to push through these barriers, leads to the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with somebody in all of the Gospels. This is amazing, but, but also notice the way that Jesus meets this woman exactly where she's at and connects it to the gospel. That this woman, Jesus is aware that this woman is at the well to get water. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus connects her need for water and illustrates it and connects it to the gospel in a masterful way. Meets her exactly where she's at. Look, notice that Jesus doesn't immediately go into a gospel presentation. He doesn't immediately kind of drop this, this truth bomb on her. No, no, no. He starts with being transparent, with being appropriately vulnerable, and then connects a bridge to the gospel by meeting her exactly where she's at. I think this is a skill that, that is tremendously helpful for us in making evangelism more natural and less aggressive. That instead of, of kind of walking into a conversation and dropping this spontaneous truth bomb, which, which some of us believe that's what evangelism is. We, we think that that's effective evangelism. It's kind of the, the, the spontaneous going right into the gospel because it's, it's bold and it's fearless and it's clear. And, and maybe at times that's appropriate. And yet Jesus demonstrates here this, this, this ability to be patient, to be wise, in meeting people where they are and building a bridge to the gospel. I know a couple of weeks ago, I talked about uh, relational evangelism and how for some of us, our relational evangelism is more relational and, and no evangelism, that we're trying to build these relationships with unbelievers, and yet we never really get to the gospel and trying to, trying to uh, exhort us to get to Jesus, get to the gospel. And yet I want to balance that out here of, of making sure that as we're interacting with people and, and when we're building relationships to love people and to share the gospel, that we need to make sure that we're building, we're building authentic relationships with people. That we're treating people not as projects, not as, as problems to fix, but as people to love. And so what does that look like, maybe practically? Well, maybe you go to work tomorrow, and it's early in the morning, and you go to the break room, and, and you see one of your coworkers who's grabbing coffee. And so you, you go up to them, and, and, and you say, hey, Bob, how was, how was your weekend? And maybe Bob responds, and, and he says, you know what, um, I had kind of a, a, a rough weekend. Okay? He responds that way, and you, you have an opportunity, right? You have a decision to make. Like, do I either just kind of grab my coffee and say, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Like, hope you have a good start to your day. Or do you stop and think to yourself, is the Lord working here? Is, is God maybe creating an opportunity to build a bridge to get to the gospel? So, so maybe you stop. And you kind of put your coffee on, on the table there, and you say, well, Bob, what, what happened? Like, well, why, was it, why was it a rough weekend? And, and maybe Bob says, you know, we, we have some financial problems, and, and we've, we've had, we have a lot of strain in our marriage, and we had just this blow-up argument, and it's, it's really causing me to be in a funk today. So in that moment, you, you have another opportunity, right? You can say, man, I'm sorry to hear that. I'll be praying for you, and you kind of walk away. Or you can think to yourself, okay, how, how can I... Build a bridge of grace in order to get to the gospel here. 
And you remember what Jesus did with this woman at the well, that Jesus led with transparency and with an appropriate level of vulnerability. So maybe you respond to Bobby and you say, man, Bobby, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, in my own marriage, like we, we've had our fair share of arguments and we've had seasons in which things have been tight financially, okay, which, is, which is a great way to start. But then you're thinking, how can, I, how can I bridge this to the gospel? And so maybe you say to Bob, hey, Bob, can I, can I share something that might give you hope in your marriage Something that, that God explains what the purpose of marriage is all about. Can, can I share that with you? Because God has been really teaching me that right now in this season. And then you, you just kind of beeline for the gospel right there. You build a bridge right where you are talking about marriage, something that Bob brought up. And then you go right into the gospel of Jesus Christ in a much more natural, less aggressive way, rather than walking into the break room, putting your coffee down, saying, hey, Bob, if you died tonight, where would you go? <laughs> Just like out of nowhere, something that's completely detached from a relational context because you, you heard this, this message on the woman at the well, so you wake up and you're like, i got to share the gospel today. But no, understanding that building a bridge of grace to hold the weight of truth is something that Jesus did over and over and over again. All we need is that gospel intentionality and the ability to meet people where they are. So building a bridge of grace. Not only that, but number three, Jesus demonstrates this amazing skill of gently exposing people of their greatest need. And this is, Jesus does this in the most beautiful, most gracious way possible. And he really does this over the course of many verses in, in this conversation. Verses 10 through 24, if, if you watch Jesus kind of weave in and out of this conversation, He's trying to, to get to this woman's heart and expose her greatest need. See, Jesus is trying to help this woman understand that her greatest need is to be satisfied and to be filled with the living water. He's talking about himself and to worship God in spirit and in truth. To not look to other men, to not look to all these other relationships, to not look to, to being accepted by, by her community. That's not her greatest need. Her greatest need is to be satisfied with Jesus. And if you notice, in this conversation, this woman is dodging this left and right. This woman wants nothing to do uh, talking about her greatest need. She over and over again tries to change the subject. In fact, this woman would rather talk about theology than talk about her greatest need. I mean, her and Jesus have some pretty deep theological discussions in these verses. Like, they talk about who the living water is, they talk about who the, the patriarch Jacob is, where, where the proper place of worship is, the nature of true worship, and, and even the coming of the Messiah. I mean, that, that's deep water there. And she, she's more comfortable talking about those things than talking about her greatest need, which is to be satisfied with Jesus. Look, I don't know if, if you've shared the gospel with someone and, and they kind of do that dodging game. We start asking them questions and, and they want to change the subject or, or they want to talk about something else. I, I remember having this conversation with, with this person who, who parks outside our house and they pick up their kids uh, after, after school. And I'm out there playing with Ellie and, and she kind of rolls down her window. We start engaging in conversation and, and she starts talking about my occupation. Like, hey, you know, what do you do for a living? And, and I said, well, I'm a pastor. And, and you know, her, her posture kind of changes in that moment. Um, some people are like, okay, see you later. You know, they kind of walk away. Um, or they just start opening up. Okay, this is a pastor. This may be a safe place. And so she starts opening up about really her whole life story. 
As she grew Pentecostal and she converted to, to Judaism, she married uh, this Jewish man. And so I'm looking for, how do I bridge to the gospel? So I, I used that, I went into that, and I asked her, well, what do you trust for your salvation now? If you've converted, like how, how has that impacted your relationship with Jesus? And so she answered something brief, and, and she asked me what, what I believed about that. So I get right into the gospel, and immediately she changes it. And she starts talking about all, all of these uh, evangelicals who voted for Trump and, and starts talking. She's more comfortable talking about politics than talking about her greatest need. And, and so in, in those moments, it's like, okay, how, how, do you, how do you get back to her greatest need when, when they're throwing all these smokescreen questions? Well, notice what Jesus does here. Jesus, in verse 16, very gently exposes her sin. Jesus says to her, hey, go call your husband. And she responds and she says, well, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, you're right to say that. And, and, but also says, you've had five other husbands and the man you're currently with is not your husband. You notice how gentle that is? How, how full of grace to, to expose her sin and her greatest need? Notice that Jesus does not enter this conversation and say, woman, you are such a sinner. Like, haven't you learned your lesson yet? Like, man, you, you've been searching for all these men. No, he doesn't do that at all. He's so gentle and, and full of grace. And he does that in order to, to pull this woman in. So as, as she's trying to dodge all of these, these questions and remarks, Jesus is targeting her heart. And Jesus just beautifully balances compassion and conviction being confrontational and yet full of grace here. And basically through this conversation identifies for her, you have a worship problem. That you've been trying to, to fill this void with other men and you need to fill it with me. I think what we learn from this interaction is that when we're sharing the gospel, we need a posture of grace and empathy as we talk to people. Empathy is one of the most disarming characteristics when you're talking to people about their greatest need, that, that we need to look people in the eyes and say, I, I'm a sinner too. That I, I've been lost before too. I, I am in need of Jesus as well. That, that I've been rescued by Jesus, and I would love to share with you how you can be rescued by Jesus as well. See, it's, it's this posture that's completely changed. Not this, I'm more holy than you, or I'm better than you, but, but I'm a beggar sharing with another beggar where to find food that will satisfy you forever and ever, and his name is Jesus. See, it's a completely different posture. I think one of the best ways, at least that I've experienced in, in trying to kind of disarm people and, and expose people's greatest need is by asking really good questions, making sure that you're studying people so that you're asking specific questions that are full of empathy. See, asking questions that are specific that are at the heart level, that, that's in a relational context, that lovingly expresses what their greatest need is, I think that speaks louder than kind of blunt propositions of truth that come out of nowhere. So asking, asking good questions is another great way uh, of building these bridges of grace and exposing their greatest need. Yet not only that, number four here, another thing that Jesus demonstrates is a clear explanation of Jesus he clearly explains who he is in this conversation. They start talking about her greatest need, and, and verse 25, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. 
And yet Jesus very clearly says, I'm him. In fact, the, the whole, every, everything that we've talked about, I've been talking about myself. He explains this very clearly to her that he is the Messiah. And I just want to point this out. This is just a really good reminder as, as we live out evangelism, as we're sharing uh, the hope with other people, that we need to keep in mind two things that are very, very important. Uh, the first is we need to keep in mind building a context of relationship that we've already talked about. We've already talked about this context of relationships. And yet number two is we need to be very clear about the content of the shared gospel. So context of relationship and content of the gospel, we need to do both really well. And so that raises the question, do you know the gospel well enough in order to share it with others that leads to their salvation? I'm not asking you if you're saved. I'm not asking you if you, if you know or believe in the gospel. I'm asking you, are you gospel fluent enough in order to articulate the gospel to somebody who needs to be saved? Okay, so that, that's a step deeper of, of under, being immersed enough in the gospel content in order to share it with somebody. In other words, if, if a neighbor knocked on your door tonight and they said, hey, I, I, think, I think you're a Christian. You, you might go to church. I see those, those yard signs in your yard that you know, invite people to Easter and Christmas. And, and I just have a question for you. My, my mom died. Uh, last week, and I've just been wrestling with death and, and where we go after we die. Do, do you have any answers? If, if your neighbor asked you that tonight, would you be able to, to answer that question and point them to Jesus in the gospel? Are, are, you, are you gospel fluent to be able to articulate, or, or students, uh, children, if you're, you're going to school in a couple of months, and, and, and you have a classmate who asks you, hey, I heard you went on a mission trip this summer, or I hear that you go to church. How can I be saved? What's, what's this Jesus guy all about? Are you able to lean into that moment and unpack the content of the gospel? See, we need to be a people that, that doesn't just understand the benefits of the gospel, but we need to understand the, the content of the gospel itself. And I, I want to highly recommend a book for you. If, if you want to learn more about what that is, the book is called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert? It's an unbelievably uh, simple book about the gospel and yet very powerful that equips you to be able to share it with, with other people. If you don't have a copy, you want a copy, uh, email me or Dustin. We've got dozens of those books just lying around. We'd love to, to give you that book for free. But we need to know not just what the gospel is, but to be immersed enough in it to be able to share it with other people. And Jesus does that clearly in this passage. Now, number five, the last key to faithful and personal evangelism is having a missional urgency, a missional urgency. We see that clearly with Jesus here, but we also see that with the woman herself, that Jesus is on this mission. He's trying to explain it to his disciples in verses 31 through 38. In fact, verse 35, he, he tells the disciples, look, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And verse 34, he's saying, look, I've been sent to do the work of my Father. In essence, he's saying, if you follow me, this is your mission. This is your purpose in life, to, to orchestrate your life around being intentional with the gospel. And, and this woman picks up on that. Isn't it ironic that the disciples miss this urgency and yet this woman lifted out? Like in verse 9, she, she leads many Samaritans in her town to believe in Jesus. Why? Because she shared her testimony. See, she was fluent enough in the gospel to lead many to Christ. She had this 
missional urgency. See, this woman was convinced that Jesus was too good, too life-changing, too satisfying to keep him to herself. She had to share it with other people. The reality is is that the, the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. Isn't that right? The gospel is only good news if, if we're able to share it with somebody in time. We, we need the sense of missional urgency. And so how did this woman move from being filled with shame, being an outcast, to being the, this missional evangelist? Well, it's, it's because of this encounter with Jesus and this intimacy with Jesus that was developed in this conversation. We see her evangelism strategy in verse 29. He, her evangelism strategy, she tells the whole village, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. That's her strategy. She's saying, look, this, Jesus knows everything about me. I'm fully known by Jesus, fully accepted, fully loved. And that filled her with such an intimacy with Christ that it propelled her forward to having an urgency with sharing it with other people. And my question for you on this holiday weekend is what what level of intimacy do you have with Jesus today? What's your intimacy like with Christ? Because I, I think that your level of intimacy with Jesus will be demonstrated in your evangelism. That if you are filled with the awe and the greatness of Christ, that you've been convinced of what he has done for you, that you'll be convinced you, you can't keep him to yourself, that you're going to be sharing Jesus with with other people around you and just every, everyday living. And so as we close this morning, we're going to have one more song just to sing about Jesus, to, to, to grow our intimacy with Christ and, and to make sure that if Christ is all that we have, then we'll be able to share him with other people. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Christ. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the amazing way that Jesus lived out the ability to share the gospel with other people. And Lord, I pray that as we um, enter kind of this holiday weekend, this holiday week, and and we interact with maybe family members or neighbors or friends, we we need to have eyes that see with compassion opportunities that you're creating for us to share the hope of Jesus with other people. And so God, I pray that that we would be convinced that, that we need Jesus. We need Jesus to satisfy our souls so that that then propels us outward. So God, make that happen through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.